Happy Cinco de Mayo, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Defenders of the Bank with Philly and... The Scarf. We are calling this episode Cinco de Zero, and that is in reference to our 0-0 draw Ugh. at the bank against the Chicago Fire. So we're going to get into that in a second. Our talking points for the day are as follows. We are going to discuss this day in LAFC history. We are going to bring you the match recap. We're going to bring to you our weight... What? what segment of the day? We're going to quickly highlight the tailgate and the fan fest that occurred on Christmas Tree Lane this past Saturday. And we're going to talk about a very cool event that I'm trying to promote and trying to get a lot of fans out. It's going on in August and more on that later. But without further ado, let's get going on our Cinco de Cero episode. And look, for a lot of fans out there, you all know that Scarf is a molder of minds. He is not a Sith Lord or a Jedi Knight. <laughs> And that concludes our cheesy May the 4th Star Wars references. That's right. Rip Chewbacca, Peter Mayhew. But we would like to acknowledge Cinco de Mayo and Scarf. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the significance of today? Yeah, I want to get into a little bit of the backstory about Cinco de Mayo before we begin our podcast. I know a good part of our Hispanic and Latino community are very familiar with the history of Cinco de Mayo. But there are a lot of other people out there that probably aren't that might be listening to this podcast. Look, Cinco de Mayo is not, I repeat, not Mexican Independence Day. Mexican Independence Day falls on September 16th. And that holiday was established in 1810, about 50 years before we started celebrating Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo celebrates a victory over the French forces of Napoleon III at the Battle of Puebla in 1862. It, in the mid-20th century in the United States, it became a way for Mexican immigrants to kind of encourage their pride and celebrating their Mexican heritage. Look, I know it also has some negative connotations with alcohol and kind of some of the stereotypes of Mexican culture. What it really should be about is celebrating Mexican heritage, encouraging pride in that heritage, and it celebrates a military victory in 1862 over the French forces of Napoleon III. Again, it is not Mexican Independence Day. That was in 1810 on September 16th. So a little bit of the back history about Cinco de Mayo. Also, while I can throw it in there, happy birthday to Danielle Fischel. Oh, Topanga. And <laughs> boy meets world, Topanga. And we want to acknowledge our buddy, the big guy. He sits with us in Founders Club. It's going to be Mother's Day and his birthday. So happy birthday to our friend Nick LAFC, the big guy. You can follow him on Instagram. Right. Yeah, that's a great segue, too, into our next episode. Our next episode will be recorded on the 11th, right after our away game against the Columbus Crew. And it'll be airing, likely for everybody, on Mother's Day, May 12th. So again, happy birthday to the big guy. And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, even though we'll talk about that again on our next episode. And now, the scarf with this day in LAFC history. Yeah, you know, we had a little bit of exciting LAFC history earlier in the week. On May 3rd of this week, 2019, LAFC officially announced a partnership with Dollar Shave Club as their official grooming partner. I love those razors. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see if LAFC does any tie-ins there with Dollar Shave Club. So thank you for coming on as our official grooming partner. I did shave for the first time in a couple of weeks this week as oh, well. I can tell. Yeah, right? A little bit of glistening face there. But on Cinco de Mayo, we do have some LAFC history. We don't get a lot of history before 2018, but we definitely have some amazing history happening in 2017 on Cinco de Mayo. LAFC officially announced the signing of their second ever player. His name is Monday Bassi 
Etim. That's right, Monday Bassi Etim. If you haven't heard of him, don't worry. I hadn't either until I was researching this for this day in LAFC history. He was loaned out to Orange County Soccer Club, which I believe had just changed their name from the Orange County Blues in the USL. They're now in the USL Championship League. But he was loaned out as soon as he was signed, never played a single minute of competitive action for LAFC. He was our second ever signing on Cinco de Mayo of 2017, Monday, Bassi Etim was his name. And of course, on this date last year, Cinco de Mayo, LAFC tied FC Dallas 1-1 on a goal from Steven Betashore. We're going to talk about another goal by Steven Betashore that was disallowed in this last game against Chicago. But the other cool part about that game on Cinco de Mayo of last year, it was the LAFC debut of Lee Wynn. Yeah, we had just acquired him from the New England Revolution, and he came out, and look, as we have seen this season and in parts of last season, but again, especially this season, it's that interior passing of Lee Wynn that just made our offense so much more crisper, a great deal for LAFC to get one of the more dynamic passers in the MLS. It was his debut last year on Cinco de Mayo against FC Dallas in a 1-1 tie, but one other big piece of LAFC history. Most people will not be listening to this on Cinco de Mayo because we're going to probably put it up later in the evening. Most people will be on their way to work, on their way to the gym, on their way home, whatever it might be, and listening to this episode on May 6th. Well, that is a big day in LAFC history. The Los Angeles City Council approved a stadium to be built on the old LA Sports Arena site. And as all of you know, that stadium has come to be known as the Bank, Bank of California Stadium, home of the 3252 and 22,000 screaming fans and the current number one team, not just as Philly likes to say in the West, but also where? In the MLS. That's right. So Bank of California Stadium, the approval for the project was officially announced on May 6th, 2016. So a big day in this day in LAFC history. And one of the things that I love, if you've been out to the tailgates at Christmas Tree Lane in Philly, we'll certainly be able to talk to you a whole lot more than I will about last game's tailgate out at Christmas Tree Lane. Shoeys galore. That's raw. Shoeys are the grossest thing ever. Shout out to Expo Monty, but there's just no way I think I could do that without throwing up. But anyway, if you've ever walked around the outside, the perimeter of Bank of California Stadium, there are a lot of cool cement plaques in the ground with a lot of the acts that performed and some of the special events that happened at the Los Angeles Sports Arena. Of course, Bank of California Stadium built on the old site of the L.A. Sports Arena and all the cool different events there. I mean, they talk about things like The Pope and Michael Jackson and all kinds of other great concerts. WrestleMania 7. Oh, that's right. WrestleMania 7 at L.A. Sports Arena. So it was a hallowed ground of L.A. history that we built Bank of California on top of. And it's really cool to be able to walk around the stadium and see a lot of the great events that happen. So that wraps up this day in LAFC history. Happy birthday, Daniel Fischel. Yes, and happy birthday, LAFC, the big guy. Now, cue up your Beavis and Butthead references because we're going to talk about our match recap against the fire, fire, fire. fire. Fire! Shut up, up, Scarf. Fire! Yeah, fire. (laughs) All right. I was looking forward to this match because not only were we going to avenge our ugly 3-1 loss from last season in Illinois, but I was going to get to see one of my very own. 
one of the most decorated players in the world. Certainly an individual who has one more World Cup than that Messi and Ronaldo guy, and definitely one more than this guy who calls himself the Lion who plays down in Carson. I am talking about none other than Bastian Schweinsteiger. Look, you can call the MLS the Retirement League if you wish, but years ago... All of you would have killed to get the opportunity to see guys like Rooney and Zlatan and Basti play in Europe. But now we don't have to go far. And it certainly is a real treat. Now, Chicago comes into this game having lost their last matchup against the Montreal Impact 1-0. Chicago, who haven't been playing particularly well this season, are coming into the bank their first time ever with a 2-4-3 record. When these two teams met last, I mentioned earlier, LAFC was embarrassed 3-1 to by a not-so-great fire team. As far as that team is concerned, their head coach stayed the same. Most of their players stayed the same, with the exception of Argentinian international and former Benefica, Atletico Madrid, and Boca Juniors player Nicolas Gaetan, and their new acquisition, which occurred on Thursday, with $400,000 of TAM money sent to Minnesota, Chicago Fire poached their captain, Francisco Calvo. Now, the leading scorer on the Chicago Fire is not who you think it would be either. CJ Sapong came into this game as the leading scorer for the Fire. As per Angels on Parade's article, that's more than Nikolic and Alexander Katai, which is Chicago's designated player. This guy had four goals all of last season with the Philadelphia Union. This season, he's got four already. The dude's resurrected himself. In fact, he's not that far off his best season because in 2017, he found the back of the net 16 times with the Union. He finds himself on a not very good Chicago Fire team and the Philadelphia Union have definitely been the surprise in the East, wouldn't you say, Scarf? Yeah, they have certainly turned things around behind the acquisition of Marco Fabian. It has been an incredible run to the top of the Eastern Conference standings for the Philadelphia Union. I'm sure if C.J. Sapong could go back and undo the deal that brought him to Chicago, he would much rather be playing back at his old stomping grounds in Philadelphia. And look... Here come the poachers on the Minnesota United again. Last year, it was LAFC poaching their best player, Christian Ramirez. Of course, we're still waiting for the highlight reel to begin on Christian Ramirez's 2019 season, but we were able to poach Christian Ramirez last year. The Fire able to poach Francisco Calvo this year. So Minnesota, really a good training ground if you're looking for your next big acquisition on any of your teams out there. And you're absolutely right. You know, Philly, this Chicago team did not come into the game looking very good. Consecutive one nothing losses. They would do nothing to help end their goalless streak on the offensive end. But CJ Sapong, like you mentioned, we're going to do a game recap here in just a second. But he was by far, in my opinion, their most aggressive, if not only aggressive player on the pitch for most of the game. We'll talk about him in a few of our highlights, or if there were any real highlights of the game, in just a minute. But CJ Sapong, I was really impressed with how well he played. You could tell he's kind of looking to make his way onto the fire. But if you guys are into solid defensive matchups, which, look, I am clearly not. I would have much rather seen a 4-4 tie rather than a 0-0 tie. But if you're into defensive matchups, this was the game for you. Obviously, LAFC coming in number one in the West number one in the MLS, and number one in so many 
categories right now. Philly, why don't you tell our listeners out there all the categories that LASC is number one in the league in? It never gets old saying the best in the West and the best in the MLS. And I love saying that. And I hope to say it all season long. We're going to reiterate things that we've said for weeks. We're leading the league in points. We are leading the league in goals scored. We are leading the league in assists, shots on goal, goal differential, goals per game. Carlos Vela leading the Golden Boot Race with 11. Mark Anthony K tied with Carlos Vela with five assists on the season. And Vela leads with shots on goal and with shots. I mean, the best in the West and the best in the MLS. Once again, the best in the West and the best in the MLS. It's got a nice ring to it. I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Yeah, you know... uh, it was a game that we were both looking forward to. You had called out a 3-1 victory. We had met somebody before the game that called out a 3 nothing victory. It was one where I thought our offense would really shine, but as soon as we saw Chicago come out in that formation that they did, a 4-2-3-1 that really just devolved into about five guys on the back line at all times. Look, they've got some great names out there on Chicago. Obviously, you mentioned it, Bastian Schweinsteiger, one of the most decorated soccer players in all of the world right now. And look, Frankie Mihailovic, I thought this kid was going to be great coming into the game. He had two goals in a U.S. men's national team match that he was by far the best player on the pitch in that game. I am not at all a fan of Dax McCarty. He's out there for Chicago Fire. And look, Katai and Gaetan, two of their DPs, Nemanja Nikolic. Nemanja Nikolic, this guy has scored 39 goals the previous two seasons. This is a guy who puts it in the back of the net. We're talking about 24 goals and then 15 goals the following year. This guy is really, really good. But I just mentioned the names Bastian Schweinsteiger and Nemanja Nikolic. We would not hear those names for the entire first half. I mean, we're talking about a team that just bunkered. There was almost no inspiring offensive play for Chicago Really disappointing. Their roster really didn't do anything there in that 4-2-3-1 formation. But, Philly, why don't you go ahead and tell us about the LAFC starting lineup and their 4-3-3. I will. One thing I want to say about Bastian Schweinsteiger, and I've got multiple jerseys of his across his entire career. Watching Basti, quite honestly, is like watching Michael Jordan play for the Birmingham Barons. It's a novelty. He is a shadow comparison of what he once was. I know he didn't jump into a different sport the same way Jordan did. I was going to say, co- I thought you were going to compare him to the Wizards, Jordan. Yeah, but that Jordan still had some flashes of brilliance. Basti, eh, not so much, but it really is cool seeing him. But yeah, I just wanted to highlight that. LAFC lined up in the same formation they have for 90% of the season, a 4-3-3 in goal. Tyler Miller. The big difference maker would be Steven Betashore, who, interestingly enough, it's 172 minutes shy of becoming the 76th player in the MLS to reach 20 thousand minutes one of our most steady presences in the back line and an individual who's seen a significant amount of playing time Eddie Segura Walker Zimmerman and Jordan Harvey round out our back line our midfield we have Atuested K and Blessing he is a blessing and our forwards consisted of (laughs) Diego Rossi Christian Ramirez and Carlos Vela our bench and I'm really happy to say consisted of Mohamed El Munir we have the return of Dio, That's and right. I'm wearing my Hull City jersey, a jersey that he wore prior to signing an LAFC contract. We saw Lee Wynn back in action. We saw Andre Horta, Josh Perez, and Dejan Djokovic. Where the heck has he been? And Tyler Miller's backup, Pablo Cisniega, 
was there. Stephen Betashore was definitely an individual we missed. So we talked about our formations. Let's get into the game. Yeah, you know, one of the games that we aren't going to be able to play in this version of Defenders of the Bank here on episode 21, I can't believe it, our podcast is finally legal. It can go out and order itself an adult beverage. We won't be able to play Name That Perez. We had no minutes played by any of the Perez's that we have on LAFC. Josh Perez did make the 18. But, you know, it was a slow start. First, what, five, six, seven minutes or so. Not a lot going on. In the eighth minute, though, Christian Ramirez, a beautiful pass to Carlos Vela inside the box. But he was stopped by Johan Kapelhoff. A great stop there on the back line. It would be the theme for LAFC. A couple of great stops being made. We'll fast forward into the 17th minute, and that leads us into what would be the save of the match. Philly, do you want to tell everybody why it would be the save of the match? Well, it really was Chicago's only legit shot on goal. They had a Christian Ramirez version 2.0 episode, which can't be considered a shot on goal. But in that 17th minute, Gaetan crossed a ball that was headed out of the box by Mark Anthony Kay. Unfortunately, that header set Dax McCarty, an individual we do not like on our podcast. No, sir. Not at all. I like Dax as much as I like Taylor Twelman, um, <laughs> which is obviously not a That's lot. It's not a lot. No, but that set him up for a one-timer, and he had the only real shot on goal that was saved by Tyler Miller. So, yeah, that was really the offensive punch that the Chicago Fire gave. I mean, they had a couple of other sets, which we'll highlight in a second, but that was their first real attempt on goal. But fast forward a good 60 seconds later, Betashore. In the midfield, and this is going to be a consistent theme throughout the course of this podcast, we had a lot of defenders in on the offensive flow of things. Absolutely. He had a sweet pass to Carlos Vela on the right side, and Carlos Vela, being the man that he is, had an amazing pass that it got right to Christian Ramirez, who got some leather on that ball, but he was stopped by Usted and... We're dying for Christian Ramirez to be the Superman that we know he can be. I'm going to say this. He had his opportunities. He didn't play a very bad game. In fact, he showed some flashes of brilliance. Yeah, you know, there were a couple of times where I thought he was a little bit late on a run getting into the box. And we'll highlight a pass, especially by Diego Rossi later in the game where no one was there. But, you know, I think still he's about a step slow on his runs. Obviously, the howler, if you can have a goalie not make a howler and a player make a howler. (laughs) Of him missing that ball from about two feet out last game. That was rough. But you know what? He didn't have a terrible game. Steven Betashore coming up on that pass there in the 18th minute. I think it was a brilliant maneuver by Bob Bradley. What he chose to do, not just by playing in our regular 4-3-3 formation, but what we saw time and time again in this match were both Steven Betashore and Jordan Harvey pressed forward on the offensive attack so many different times. Look, this was a unique situation that we were able to run this style of an attacking offense in. Chicago was not a team that showed that they would be pressing numbers forward at any time at all during the match. So what Bob did was he kept pressing Stephen Betashore forward, Jordan Harvey forward, and it allowed us to make a couple more passes to get a couple more attacking plays especially in the first half. It's one of those things, too, and I'm, I'm so glad that we have the legend Bob Bradley as our head coach because this is not a formation and not a tactic that we can use very many times during the season. Look, like you just mentioned, Stephen Betashore is almost at 20,000 minutes for his MLS career. Jordan Harvey, in the opening match this year, played in his 300th MLS game. These are not 
young spring chickens that can get back on defense and go forward on offense every single time down. It's absolutely incredible to think that these guys pressed forward almost the entire game. We'll talk about Jordan coming out of the game just before the 90th in a little bit, but such a brilliant tactic and a brilliant strategy to counter the five and sometimes six guys in the box. And especially, look, I got to give your guy a little bit of credit too. We didn't hear his name or say his name much, but Bastian Schweinsteiger is such a brilliant tactician on that back line that we almost needed to have an extra player in there as well. It was great to see Beta and Harvey coming up, and you said it would be a theme, and here we are in the 27th minute off of a beautiful corner kick by Atuesta that landed right by Jordan Harvey, another stab at it, but it's Nemanja Nikolic, and the first time we'll talk about him in the entire podcast, it's about his defensive prowess on this. Pretty cool to see one of their DPs hustling back on defense, and if not for Nico back there on the back line like we've had Steven Betashore do for us a couple of times, it would have been a very quick one nothing. and I have to think the floodgates might have opened. Oh, Usted, you need to get Nico a Michelada because he had more saves that helped protect your clean sheet than even you had. But yes, we had a lot of our defenders participating in the game. Shortly after that 27th minute attempt, in the 28th, we are right back at it. Latif Blessing passes the ball to Carlos Vela, who crosses the ball beautifully inside the box, as he always does. Ramirez heads it right to Jordan Harvey, who takes one more stab at the net with a header, but... It sailed over to the right of the goal and out of bounds. And I'm telling you, there must have been magnets at Bank of California Stadium outside of the goals because we had so many opportunities that went wide left, wide right, nothing filling in that big box in the center. So that was that progression within the 28th minute. Yeah, you know, I felt bad after the game. Christian Ramirez was quoted as saying, you know, sometimes, guys, the ball just doesn't want to go in. And I was like, Christian, anybody but you right now can give that quote, buddy. You got you to gotta leave that one a little bit on the back burner. But it really did. You're absolutely right. It seemed like the ball just did not want to find the back of the net. And again, 34th minute, Diego Rossi presses inside. No one there, though, on a beautiful pass. I mean, this was a great through ball. But no one was there, and it's Nemanja Nikolic again there to clear it out. I mean, it was uh, a beautiful pass by Diego Rossi. He actually got the ball back and took a shot, missed well wide. And to be perfectly honest, in the 34th minute, that was the last little bit of exciting news we had in the entire first half. We went to the half, scoreless tie, 0-0. You got the feeling like LAFC was doing enough. I mean, we were throwing guys forward. We were taking a lot of shots. We looked good-ish on the offensive end. It didn't look like anything was going to fall for us there in that first half. But I was optimistic coming into that second half that we might be able to do something. And, of course, in the 53rd minute, Philly, we did score a goal. It just, and rightfully so, by the way, didn't stand. Nope. And there are no arguments there. There might have been some booze. Kay had a magnificent pass to Betashore, and I'm going to steal this from our boys over at the Heart of LAFC podcast, and if you're not listening to them, Jerry and Joseph do give some fantastic analysis, and they're very entertaining gentlemen. We love those guys. Every goal begins with K. It almost was the sequel, but offside call. It was the right call, but still, I love the hustle from our back line. Jordan Harvey had a couple of attempts on there. Betashore, he punched it in the back of the net, but unfortunately, he was way offside. We could definitely say he was cherry-picking as far as that uh, series was concerned. And later on, we're going to talk about how Walker Zimmerman had an attempt. But we have 
a bunch of defenders back there who have aggression and offensive prowess. And these guys have scored goals in their career. But let's fast forward two minutes later where we really had a scary moment. In the 55th minute, we saw Christian Ramirez version 2.0, but it wasn't our team. It was Chicago Fire situation. It was somehow, oh my goodness, how did this ball not find the back of the net? I believe it was Nemanja Nikolic who this time put it over the crossbar from only a few feet further out than Christian Ramirez was when he missed that ball. It was one where I feel like, too, if Chicago gets that goal, we're not seeing five or six guys back in the box. We're seeing maybe seven or eight. We're talking about the most unoriginal bunkered soccer that we might have ever seen in the MLS. But look, we dodged a bullet there in the 55th minute. It was one of those things where I know Tyler was a little upset about how the play worked out. It was we just we had to put that behind us. And, you know, we started to really click on the offensive end in the 64th minute. That was when Lee Wynn comes into the game for Christian Ramirez. And like we have talked about so often, the passing just seems to improve tenfold when Lee Wynn comes into the game. I thought, and I will say this, I thought our passing from about the 64th minute until the end of the game was as good if not the best, than it has been all season. Look, I know no goals resulted in it, but I counted several plays where we strung together eight, nine, maybe even ten passes, and there were so many other games this season where we were frustrated that it seemed like we couldn't put three or four together. When Lewin comes in, sure enough, Lewin comes in in the 64th, in the 65th minute, because Team C what Lee Wynn can do with that ball. Lee Wynn was on the left side. All the action happened on the right side. Latif Blessing passed the ball into Vela. Vela hit the woodwork. There goes your magnet theory again. Vela hit the post. But look, it's because they had an extra defender guarding Lee Wynn as he came in. The bottom line is this. With Christian Ramirez on the pitch, you don't have to be as responsible for his ability to pass. You have to watch him make a run. You have to watch where he is inside the box. But with Lee Wynn out there, he can make a run. He can make a pass. He makes you stay honest on defense. And it's one of those things where I thought, look, it's no coincidence that right as Lee Wynn comes in the game, we get what might have been our best shot in the second half with a ball coming off the woodwork by Vela in the 65th. No doubt. And... Lee Wynn is a gamer, and I'm not talking about his Fortnite prowess. He is also that. either. Yes, he is also that. But yeah, I mean, he when he first came out of the roster last season from the New England Revolution, we know what his history was. We know that he had national team exposure. A player that, within his first couple of games as a member of the Black and Gold, it didn't feel like he was part of the progress. He wasn't part of the offensive progression, but he found his boundaries as he learned Bob Bradley's system and as he grew part of the team. And, you know, you'd think after being gone for a couple of games that, you know, he'd have some rust to dust off, but nah, not not at all. I mean, he comes into the game and he becomes a big focal point. I'm biased because, yeah, he's a fellow Indiana Hoosier. He spent one year at my alma mater, and I will always love Lee Winford. Who, 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 who's <laughs> Oh, shout out my alma mater. But yeah, he, he definitely came in. And I will say, 75th minute, one of the more positive notes of the game, we had the long-awaited return of Adama Diamande! Yeah, you, you know, you mentioned with Lee Wynn about not needing to shake off any rust or anything. I think we saw the first couple of touches there for Adama. Definitely needed to shake off a little bit of rust. He had yep. one hard touch. 
But you know Hamstring what? Hamstring injuries, no joke, No, dude. you're absolutely right. He also, though, went right back to doing what Dio does best. He got the ball inside the box right at the top of the 18, made things dirty and messy in there, and there are so many times where all of a sudden he starts bouncing around the box there, able to get a ball through a couple people's legs, kind of fights through a little bit, and he's there to slam the ball. I mean, the fast-twitch muscle movement that that guy gets when he decides it's time to uncork one he absolutely hammers it sometimes. And there he was right at the top of the box, got a couple of really good touches right as he came in. Unfortunately, I don't feel like we heard his name much more after that in the final 15, 20 minutes or so, but it was really great. And, and look, the fan response to getting number 99 Dio back out there on the pitch. They started the 32:52 with their Dio chant and you just felt the energy in the building. Look, that guy is someone who everybody watches when he's out there on the pitch. And it was so much fun, and I'm so happy to have Adama Diamande back there in the 75th as I look over at you in your Hull City jersey. Oh, no doubt. I love my Hull City jersey. I am an avid collector of obscure and small market football clubs. Yeah, Philly, you got to tell the fans about the cool group that, was it Joseph turned you on to, right, from, uh, from Heart of LAFC? Now, we are a podcast fan. We support all of our brothers out there. Listen to Heart of LAFC. Listen to Shoulder to Shoulder. FCFC. Season Pass. Beer Showers. Are We LAFC? Inside LAFC. The Locker Room with Walker Zimmerman. Back to back with with Harvey and Beta. Have have I missed one? I'm pretty impressed. That was pretty good. There's also a couple Spanish-speaking ones, I believe, right? Dale Black and Gold. Our buddy Pablo. Somos LAFC, right? The OGs in the mix. But yes. you, there were, by the way, for those of you that can't see into Phil and Monster Studios, he did all of that with no notes. I think he got pretty much every podcast out there. And by the way, if we forgot about you and your podcast, please hit us up at Defenders of the Bank on Instagram because we apologize. But Philly just did that with no notes. That was impressive, man. No, oh, I mean, I listen to all the pods as much as I can, and I love our brethren. And as a result of listening to our brethren, Heart of LAFC, Joseph and Jerry. Oh, geez. They, they're sponsored by a company called Away Days. Now, Away Days has a very, very cool business. They're a small little establishment based out of Boston. For 25 bucks, or you pay the $75 for a three-month subscription, they'll send you a small market club kit. Legitimate small market club kit made by Adidas, whoever the sponsor is. You're not going to get your Barca or your Madrid's or your United jerseys, but... Because of what I heard on Heart of LAFC, Joseph Zacker got a Nottingham Forest jersey. In previous podcasts, <laughs> we highlighted Brian Clough, one of the greatest managers in the history of English football. He won titles at Nottingham Forest. They've got multiple stars. When I heard that Joseph got a Nottingham Forest kit, I jumped right on that. I ordered my jersey. I put in the 75 bucks for three months. I have no idea what kits I'm going to get, but the first kit I got was Ipswich Town. For those of you who don't know who they are, <laughs> there's no reason for you to know who they are. They do have a couple of titles and a couple of stars to their name, but they are the last place team in the second division, and they're going to get relegated down to the third. It's not a kit that you can find on World Soccer Shop or any of the soccer stores, but I got that kit, and I'm going to proudly wear it. Their sponsor, Marcus Evans, great, great promoter, great promotion great website to go to if you're looking to get to a premier league game in england and you want to book a hotel room and get a ticket to the game go to marcus evans's website because they promote some really cool stuff 
Yeah, you I feel know, like I'm plugging them in, and they're not even a sponsor. But I know, this right? is for Heart of LAFC. We love you, boys. That's right. I think you spend more time on that than we might on our sponsor, Riley's Brewing, right now. But you know, the other thing too, I wanted to mention. This seems like a good segue, even though we're not quite done with the 90 minutes of the game yet. Wanted to give our condolences to Cardiff City, who is getting relegated in the English Premier League. Of course, one of the LAFC owners, Vincent Tan, is the majority owner, I believe, of Cardiff City. So it's never a good day when one of our LAFC owners has a bad day like that we're talking about going from what about 30 40 50 million dollars worth of television and sponsor money and all this other stuff to to, five yeah to getting relegated down to the second division i mean imagine if all of a sudden lafc or one of these other teams was relegated down to the usl championship division and they were playing teams you know like phoenix rising or ocsc or Los Dos Carson two more on that later. Yeah, that's right. We got a little, little thing going on here between Phoenix rising and Los Dos that we want everybody to come out to, but wanted to give our condolences out to Cardiff city. They'll be playing in the second division next year. One of our owners, Vincent Tan. So let's flash forward to the 85th minute. And really the 85th minute was the last time I think that we would put something together that resembled an offensive strike. And look, we talked about, Steven Betashore and Jordan Harvey being pushed forward. I do not understand why this play isn't run more and more often. Look, Walker Zimmerman had an incredible game-winning wonder strike of a goal from outside the 18 to win us a match earlier in the season. But not a lot of people know that was his first goal that he ever scored that was not off of a set piece. We're talking about a guy, I believe the number is about 12 or 13 goals before that, that all came off of a set piece. Why isn't he in there, especially when Dio is in there to kind of muddy up the mix? Why isn't Walker Zimmerman in on all of these set pieces, especially these corners that can result in a header into the back of the goal? Again, the corner kick by the left foot of God, Carlos Vela. We're talking about a guy who doesn't need any good karma in Carlos Vela. We're talking about a guy who manages to get some of the best karma in the world in Walker Zimmerman. Look, he is all about his faith. He is a faith-based athlete. He hangs out with Clayton Kershaw and my favorite NFL football player, Johnny Hecker. The guy is just an awesome individual. Get the ball at his head. He will put it into the back of the net. He will will it in with the force or with whatever else that he needs to do. That's one more last May the Fort Star Wars reference. I can't believe we don't use him in the box more and more and more. He is a deadly weapon when he goes up for that ball. But alas, it went wide off the head of Walker Zimmerman after Mohamed El-Munir subbed out Jordan Harvey in the 85th minute. And honestly, that was it. Those those were the highlights of the match, Philly. Yeah, clearly all the highlights of the match. A 0-0 draw. And I'm surprised we managed to talk this much about the game. Thank you for reeling us in. I had an ADHD moment where I went off on a tangent about my love of football kits and I've got a lot of them (laughs) your whole closet by the way it's incredible we're gonna have to post guys follow us on Instagram at defenders of the bank but if you're not following Philly Philly what is your Instagram handle philamonster35 because I created it three years ago I'm 38 god I'm old that's what the 35 stands for. This is I just learned something about my podcast co-host right now. I thought maybe it was a number you wore in high school in a sport or something, but interesting. All right, 35. Dude, right. I would never wear 35, and the only reason I would never wear 35 is the great Reggie Lewis who played for the Boston Celtics. He died early in his life of a heart attack, and I stayed away from that number. My number in high school, just in case you're wondering, is 24. Same as Lee Wynn, but I'm not going to rock 
Philly 24 because it's Lee Wynn's number. Right, I'm so rocking here's... Philly 80 because that's the year I was born, brother. Yeah, you know, it's really funny where you mentioned the number 35, how you will never wear it. Actually, I grew up idolizing a player that wore number 35, Frank Thomas, the big hurt, the first baseman for the Chicago White Sox, a massive hulking individual, my favorite baseball player growing up. And I wore 35 all the way through. You'd think I'd be a bigger fan of Cody Bellinger. The guy's only hitting like 418 right now. The Ted Williams of our generation. Oh, J-Mo, shout out to you, buddy. That's, that's a lot to take in there. I'm not so sure that he's the Ted Williams of our generation. But the guy is batting over 400. He's left-handed like I was a left-handed hitter. He wears number 35. I just can't get excited about him. But then again, this is an LAFC podcast, so I'm going to bring it back on the rails. You know, one of the cooler things, though, that Philly and I that you saw before the match actually is our weight. What? what moment of the podcast. And, you know, I want to give a big shout out. You know, obviously, Philly is a huge supporter of our veterans. I am a huge supporter of our veterans. We'll talk more about why Philly is a huge supporter in just a minute. But my father served in the Navy. I'm a huge supporter of our veterans. And you had to get your tissue boxes out before the match even started because it was Petty Officer Rene Saavedra on the Jumbotron. We saw him speaking from, I, I forget, I apologize, I forget where he was deployed, but we saw him speaking on the Jumbotron, and he just wanted to kind of give a shout-out to his family. And, of course, they pan over, and his family is out there on the field. So everybody was giving his family you know, a big round of applause, and we were really happy to be able to support one of our veterans when it almost seemed like Field of Dreams, where he comes out of the cornfield. He almost came out of the 3252 <laughs> right behind his family. His wife and the rest of his family just lost their minds, along with most of the other 22,000 that were there at Bank of California Stadium. Not only was that the San Manuel thrill of the match, but look, one of the coolest things I have ever seen was that after the game, and I'd like to think that this had a lot more to do with the fact of his service to our country and everything that that moment meant rather than it was a zero zero tie. And it was pretty much a God awful game that we didn't really have anybody to give man of the match to, but Rene Saavedra, petty officer, Rene Saavedra, the YouTube man of the match. Okay. I'm a scarf collector. Some of you might've heard I have one no. or two scarves. No, he was awarded the man of the match scarf. I lost my mind. I was so happy for him. It's so cool. That I mean, that's the unicorn, right? I, if I could ever get a man of the match scarf, I, I don't want to earn man of the match. I understand that there's going to be a whole lot that I have to do, like, you know, serving out on my the field country. Naked. Yeah, no, that would get me a barred man of the match where I might not be able to come back to my season <laughs> I'd tickets. give you a scarf for that. Well, they would put one around me because if I ran out there naked, nobody would want to see that. That's for sure. Maybe a straight jacket, too. But I, I got to tell you, it's the unicorn <laughs> of all scarves, and I could not be happier or more appreciative for the service of Petty Officer Rene Saavedra, our wait what? what moment of the podcast. Yes, and let's wrap it all up. 0-0 zero, zero draw. We got the shutout. Defense looked good, honestly, on both sides. Tyler Miller only had one stop on goal, and it wasn't really that bad of a game. It was actually quite fun if you're into defensive matchups. Tyler, <laughs> yeah, well, Scarf has his opinions. <laughs> Tyler has yet to lose a regular season game at Bank of California Stadium. Yeah, let that fact sink in. I know that we lost to Real Salt Lake. Playoffs. I know that we lost at home to Sporting Kansas City. Booba. Exactly. Tyler didn't start that game. Booba started that game. In fact, that was Tyler Miller's only non-start of his career within LAFC. So that helped extend our home unbeaten streak. Chicago, not a very good team. Nope. But they provided some solid defending. 
I mean, they stopped the league leader in goals scored. Even though they couldn't really put together a legitimate attack, they earned a very solid point on the road in a very, very loud Bank of California stadium. Final stat line, as follows. Possession, LAFC 64% to Chicago's. 36. Shots on goal. LAFC had 22 shots on goal with five on target. Chicago had... Nine shots total with just that one easy save for Tyler Miller. From Dax McCarty. Fouls, LAFC 8. 15 for Chicago. Bad boys. Not particularly a punch in the face kind no, of No, it game. definitely wasn't a dirty game. We didn't see Latif go flying all over the field like we normally do. It was it was a, if you can have like a clean 15 fouls, I will agree with you, Philly, absolutely. Yeah, I, I didn't find myself booing horrifically at anything. Yellow cards, LAFC 1 and Chicago's 3. Red cards, none. Offsides, LAFC 4, Chicago. None because you have to throw people forward in order for people to be offside. Chicago didn't do that. Well said. Corners, LAFC 7, Chicago. Only three. Saves, LAFC 1, Chicago. Only four. And that is the end of the stat line. Yeah, you know, the only other thing that made this particularly disappointing is, Philly, both you and I watched the result earlier in the day from that team down the 110 there in Carson. Look, we thought for sure it was going to be three points for Carson, and we were going to have to work our way back to the top of the Western Conference standings because, like you love to sing, what is LAFC? The best in the West and the best in the MLS. Yeah, and I thought we were going to have to claw our way back to the top. They took the lead 2-1 on Look. I'm not going to lie, it was a beautiful pass from Chris Pontius to Zlatan for that header. But then just like we do, we love our New Jersey Red Bulls as long as they're playing the Carson Galaxy. And they were able to battle back with two goals and took the win 3-2. Look, when Carson looks like they're going to earn three points on the road and then they have it snatched from them. Where here we are with the ability to finally clear them in the standings. They have one game in hand. And we'll talk a little bit about games in hand and points in just a second. Because there are actually two teams. Both the Houston Dynamo and the Carson Galaxy. That are still technically up on us. If you count games in hand and total number of points per game. Because we have 24 points through our 11 games. Which is just under a 2.2 point per game average. This one was one where we needed three. Look, bottom line is this. If we're sitting here at 26 points with 11 games played, then Carson with their 10 games played at 22, even if they win their next game, they still don't catch us, and it gives us a little bit of breathing room. Same thing with the Houston Dynamo. Somehow, Houston have played three less games than we have on the season. So you add nine points, which would be three wins to their total, and they vault past us i believe philly that puts them at what 28 total points out of 11 games at that point yeah it'd be stupid if they did manage that's right there that means they're four full points ahead of us so look while we might have everything going the way that we do this was a win that i feel like we absolutely needed to have against an awful chicago team that did not feel like a zero zero tie in my book and i know you certainly felt the same way and if you didn't get a chance to see some of the video of how philly felt right after the game on our instagram at defenders of the bank It's all they needed was Thanos snapping his fingers and for Philly to kind of disappear into dust like they did in Infinity War. He just I was looked, sad. He looked so sad in his Stormtrooper onesie. <laughs> and one of the other things I want to talk about, too, you know, about the tailgate real quick before we do that. It wasn't just the Stormtrooper onesie that was the highlight of a lot of people's days out at Bank of California God, Stadium. I hope not. It was the sombrero scarf that they released at LAFC headquarters. 
I just want to give a quick shout out to Rachel and Cherise and everybody who was at LAFC headquarters. Look, if you were on Discord or Facebook or any of the other apps where you can see pictures of what Bank of California Stadium is like well before the match, there were, what, 80 to 100 people lined up at like 8.30, 9 o'clock to get this new scarf. And look, I applaud the job that LAFC headquarters did. Rachel was there from super early in the morning until well after the match ended. We're talking about a 15, 16 hour day just for a scarf launch. That scarf sold out in about an hour. You know, I got to give a big shout out to Nina. She definitely helped take care of me and pick up my scarf. And I know so many of you out there were kind of bummed because if you didn't get out there before 11 a.m., that they were completely sold out of scarves. But I just wanted to give a quick shout out as we kind of wrap up our game recap and everything else to Rachel and everybody at LAFC headquarters for the hard work that they did. And one last shout out, Philly, we're going to talk about the tailgate. I just want to give a shout out to Devo. It's her responsibility now for this whole big LAFC tailgate, and you and I both love Devo so much. Oh, we certainly do. And as far as the tailgate is concerned, it was being billed as one of the biggest fan fests we've ever had. And I will say this, there were corporate sponsors there, and then there was the supporters groups, the SGs, and of course the podcast. Being a part of that, I got there along with Panda, Scarfette, our buddies Adrian, otherwise known as Ace, and Amy, and so many people. We got there at like 9, 9.30. And the tailgate wasn't set to start till much later on. And as we were getting set up, as we were fully set up, we were told to move our tent because the corporate sponsors had to be there. All right, you pay for your space. That's fine. And I'm a man who likes to play by the rules. I don't look to ruffle feathers because I'm no longer in my 20s. And I just care to go with the flow and enjoy the atmosphere and not start controversies. Now, if you would have talked to Philly 10 years ago, I would have been (laughs) completely the opposite of all of that. But the thing that I noticed, the sponsors... And the supporters groups, there was a fence blocking everything. And all the action was going on within the supporters groups. It was an amazing time. I want to give a shout out to the Cuervos, Black Army, everyone in the 3252. We did not have to move our tent by ourselves. We had a lot of help from our friends. And we got positioned in a very advantageous point. We were right between Black Army, the Tigers, and Cuervos. Everybody was super accepting. It was an amazing time. Yeah, I wore my Stormtrooper onesie, as did Panda. We walked around. We mingled earlier on. The 3252 were selling their shirts. And I know, Scarf, you wanted a shirt, I wanted a shirt, but the line was too long and we were too busy setting up the tailgate. So we bought a bunch of donuts. We were handing them out to the people waiting in line because, look, if you're going to wait in line and you're there early, you deserve to be rewarded. So your friends at Defenders of the Bank wanted to do that. So we got set up with Riley's Brewing. Amanda Micknook was there. and We were out there distributing our magic cups that were being filled with Sancha Honey Blonde Ale and a lot of the other delicious brews that Riley's Brewing had to offer. And it was a fantastic time. Scarfy, I know you had to work, but you really missed a heck of a tailgate. But I know going forward, we're not going to have to worry about this anymore. But yeah, look, if you go to the games and if you spend all your times in the fields, you're really doing yourself a lot of injustice. The real action happens out on Christmas Tree Lane. It might be intimidating 
just walking in there not knowing anybody. But Scarf and I, we didn't really know anybody either for the longest time until we decided to become part of the community. And we certainly appreciate being embraced by everybody within the 3252. We love our black and gold family. There's so many cool people that are out there. We saw Jimmy. We saw Cassie. We saw... Uh, we saw Mo. We saw Hank. Hank was really hungover, I, by the way. It was I, kind of funny. I would funny. like to say that I saw a lot of it on Instagram through your Instagram stories. I was living vicariously through you guys while I was at work. Look, I absolutely love my job. A quick little plug about what I do on the weekends. For the last 20 years, I have run sports leagues for the city of Los Angeles, soccer leagues for four to eight year olds, basketball leagues for five, six and seven year olds, t-ball leagues, coach pitch leagues, all kinds of great stuff at Palms Park in West Los Angeles, California. I've been there since I was six years old. I've grown up at the place. And for the last 20 years, they have paid me to go run sports leagues and play with kids every weekend for about 36 weekends a year. And on May 11th, it's my 20th anniversary of doing it. Really cool. The city's uh, 20th anniversary for me hired by the city. But May 18th is the last week of our soccer for this season. And look, it's a little bittersweet because after 20 years, I'm actually no longer going to be there on Saturdays. This podcast has played a large role in terms of why I'm kind of choosing to, after 20 years, stop just a little bit of what I do on the weekend so that I can devote a little bit more time to not just this podcast, but also to give myself a weekend and a break. Look, ever since I was 16 years old, I've given up about 36 weekends a year to do this. And and it's just time for a weekend. You know, one of the greatest parts of my entire year, game in and game out, I do play-by-play for four- to eight-year-old soccer when we're out there this season. Max, I'm not trying to take your job. I'm just going to nudge you slowly out of it until you realize that I'm the one sitting in the chair. But Oh, what about me? I want to be there. Yeah, you're my color guy, man. Absolutely. I, I'm color now? Whoa. It's whoa. funny because I would have started this off thinking I you would be more the color and I would be the other guy. It's funny how he transitions. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's- I blame Riley. Riley's Brewing Company. (laughs) It's one of those things where I've done this for 20 years. It's going to be bittersweet for me on May 18th to hang up the mic in that way, but it will allow me to devote a little bit more time to the podcast and obviously just some more time to myself. But I have to say, you know. And time the scarf that. Let's not forget that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, But I was living vicariously through you guys on the podcast. It looked absolutely incredible. And again, a huge thank you to Adrian and of course to Panda and and Nina Scarfett and the to, big guy and the big guy Nick again from Visalia. This guy travels from Visalia to Bank of California. It's a three hour tour a for him to get there and tour. back. Unbelievable. You know, one last thing before we wrap up this podcast. You know, Philly, both you and I are talking about this. We are very excited for an event going on Saturday, August 3rd. Now, wait for it, everybody. Don't turn off the podcast when you hear me say this. Philly will explain in just a second. But there's an event in Carson on Saturday, August 3rd, that we want as many of the black and gold to attend as we can. So on Saturday... (laughs) August the 3rd at 7 p.m. Scarf and I want to be the chairman of this ad hoc committee. It means for this. He is a Latin teacher, ladies and gentlemen. A molder of young minds. Latin. Who speaks Latin? Regardless, I'm not even going to say anything. Almost nobody, by the way. That's still a pretty interesting and important thing that you could do. But anyway, so Saturday, August the 3rd at 7 p.m. We want to bring a big contingent of the black and gold down to Carson. And the reason being is because Los Dos Galaxy 2 in the USL are playing Phoenix Rising. Phoenix Rising has 
four of our players, Tristan Blackman, Lamar Batista, Javi Perez, and Shaft Brewer. These are our boys. We can recall them at any time. They play games for Phoenix Rising, but they train with the black and gold. I want to bring as many supporters as we can down to Carson so we can cheer them on. I know it's not going to take a lot to bring a bunch of people down to cheer against the Galaxy. I find this important because I want to support our young boys. And these are this is basically the future of LAFC. These kids, and I know you've seen Tristan play. Shaft started a game this season. Lamar, amazing talent. Javi Perez, great pedigree as well. These are our future. Let's support our boys. Now, the game itself, tickets are going to cost 5 bucks. Nothing. But here's the kicker. Beers, $2. Tacos, $2. We are going to promote this heavily, but you are hearing this for the first time. August is months away, but I wanted to whet your appetites with this idea. Again, Saturday, August the 3rd at 7 p.m., I want to bring a group. Scarf and I want to bring a group down to Carson to watch Phoenix Rising play Los Dos. Hit us up. DM us if you want to be a part of this. Like I said, we are going to be the chairman of this ad hoc committee, and we want to bring a big contingent of the black and gold down to Carson. That is absolutely right. Again, here we are on episode 21. So now our podcast can go out and buy itself a drink. 21 episodes in Philly. Absolutely unbelievable. Want to give a quick shout out and an update if you are a fan of player interviews, the Defenders of the Bank. We have secured our first player interview. We had a wonderful time down at the Performance Center at Cal State Los Angeles. Want to say a big thank you. Look forward to our first player interview. We've got Philip Ejimadu coming on the podcast in just a couple of weeks. We also want to say a big thank you to Dexter over at Pride Republic. We had a great interview with him that we've already done. That will come out after our back-to-back games against FC Dallas. It's a stupid MLS schedule. That's just crazy. We way. play them, what, two times in four days, right? It's Ridiculous. Unbelievable. So we're going to have that episode out. We've got a few other things that we've been kicking around as well. Uh, a couple very interesting interviews that we've got coming up. We just want to say thank you to everybody out there who listens to the Defenders of the Bank podcast. This is episode 21 for us, Philly. Unbelievable. Yeah, we started this December 5th. And look at what we've grown into. We have canopies. We have partnerships with breweries. We have, I'm holding a keg handle tap with our logo on it. I'm about to get a tattoo with the Defenders of the Bank logo on it. If you listened to the pod earlier on, you know I said I would, and I'm going to be a man of my word. Philly, I'm and I'm so excited. We are almost at 3252 in terms of our number of followers on Instagram. Oh my goodness, let's do a, a quick check. This is a live look-in on the Instagram page of Defenders of the Bank. We are currently at, drum roll please. Oh my goodness, Philly. We're 10 away. 10 followers away. We're at 32.42. If you happen to be the 32.52 guy. Or girl. Or girl. There may or may not be a special gift for you. But we're not saying anything more than that. So if you listen to the pod, that's all you're going to get. <laughs> and that's that. That's that. All right. So again, this has been Philly and the Scarf talking to you about the Chicago game here from beautiful Burbank, California and Philomonster Studios. And you guys know how we close out every single episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.